program. Um, Sarah, up again. Campbell's back again. Hi, I'm back. Jackie's back. Hello. <laughs> Abby's back. Hey. <laughs> yes, we're all here. We're all still here. Um, for now. Um, so this week we've got a very special episode of the podcast for you. This is a live episode. Not like live, live when you listen to it, because then it would be a podcast, but it was recorded live um, from the New Voice Awards 2020. And this is a special panel recording for all the uh, wannabe writers out there. Um, some great advice for you. This was chaired by um, Alexandra Arlango, um, who's the head of development for Karen Landback Productions. Also, runs. Um, something called Britlist, which is like a British version of Blacklist, um, which is a list of all the best unproduced scripts in the industry currently. So Alex knows a lot about writers and she knows a lot about working with writers. So she's a perfect person to come and share this for us. Um, and the panellists are David McPherson, who is a writer um, and poet and novelist who was shortlisted for one of the new awards in 2018 and Fraser Ayres who is a writer and actor and also um, the head of Trifle Trading Network who do loads of brilliant things um, around diversity in the TV industry and film industry. Um, Archie Maddox is a writer and comedian and Lauren Sequeira who is also a writer and they were both on the Britlist 2020, um, as well as David. Um, so there's a lot of chat here about early career writing um, and lots of stuff, hopefully for you to take away if you are a writer or if you be a writer. So that was a lot of chat for me. No, but that's good. David, and David is great. <laughs> and David was um, nominated for a New Voice Award himself. Um, and I'd, I'd highly recommend um, following David on Twitter. Um, but I'm going to very unhelpfully not be able to tell you his hands off the top of my head. But um, <laughs> look up, look up, look up David McPherson on, on Twitter and then that work out. We but... probably will be tweeted at some point. Exactly. We'll tag but, him when we tweet yeah. about it on this episode. Um, he's great and he's very always sharing resources for us. Um, yeah, I learned stuff from him. He's, he's, he's great. Um, yeah. So, but as, as always, I guess, but, but a special shout yeah. out to, to David. Yeah. Um, was he um, is he a writer, poet, LTL, disc welder, and puppy lover? Uh, that's Britlist. That's him. Well, I found that's it. Him. It's at David underscore Mac thirteen. Cool. Get on it. You won't regret it. I really enjoyed the panel. It was really, really good. So I hope everyone likes it. Yeah, it's fun. Excited. Lots of info, but it's also very funny. Yes. I've forgotten his name, but he's really funny. He's really funny on the panel. Archie. 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 Yeah. He's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> yeah, sadly, we, um, we've lost the, the, we had the intro section of the panel on the recording. So you're going to have to try and figure out who everyone is on the listening. Lauren's pretty easy to take off. She's on the panel. Uh, David Scottish, and then Archie and Fraser, you should be able to figure out. I think it's going to be a bit okay. But, um, yeah, it's a good one. It's, it's a cracker. Um, well, yeah. What's that you've got in your hands there? Me? It's a gun. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that doesn't really work. Uh, it's, 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 it's fine. <laughs> it's not going to work. Um, it's oh, right. wait, where's Campbell gone? Oh, where's the dog? Dun, 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 dun. That's the EastEnders theme tune, but um, I don't think I did it right. It's like, not. There's a couple of duck ducks. But, Jackie, what's the version of No Play when something sad happens? No, uh, oh, it's something theme. Yeah, it's called. Um, Oh, I should know this. Tracy Steve. <laughs> okay, it's not Tracy. Tracy. <laughs> no, I think it is something like that. Yes. <laughs> Tracy. Yeah. It's something serious happens. 
yeah. and then you get the sad one, which the Archers doesn't have. Whatever happens in the Archers, even if there's like an explosion and half the village dies, it's still. There's no variation. It's Julia's theme. Julia's theme. Into extended themes. Bye. It's like the episodes of Friends when there's no um, tag at the end. Occasionally, there's about five episodes of Friends that just go to black at the end because it's like so serious, serious. or like something yeah. something big happened. Usually, Ross kissing Rachel at various points, <laughs> but it but it goes to black. You know, like oh, this was this was oh, a big one. Yeah, shit yeah. real. Yeah, shit just go real. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> let's head to our writers panel. Yes. Enjoy, writers and readers alike. And novelist, poet and screenwriter, David McPherson. Thank you all for joining us. And I want to jump right in and ask uh, how you got into the the TV uh, writing business. Um, I know that there's not one way and route uh, of doing it, so it would be great for you to tell us your first steps. So I did a screenwriting course, uh, graduated in 2012, and then was stuck in my student job for like four years, writing script after script. Um, By chance, my email address got to Brian Elsley, who co-created Skins, and he was looking for new writers for the show called Kiss Me First. And I sent him one of those spec scripts, and he gave me a job. So I left my student job and haven't looked back since, so. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Archie, yes. Um, I, I was a playwright for years coming out of uni because I'd studied English and there's no fucking jobs. Av- Are we allowed to swear? <laughs> yes. Okay, well, it's happened now. Uh, also, I've got food all over me. I'm sorry, I'm a <laughs> fucking mess. Uh, I was studying, uh, yeah, I did plays for years and years and then I wrote a spec script about three or four years ago which then got passed around by my agent to a couple of people some of them liked it. Then I got a job on a show called Intergalactic, which comes out at the end of the year, maybe, not sure. Um, and then I got onto the Channel 4 Screenwriters course, which is kind of like the rubber stamp that the industry goes, oh, you're not shit, fair. Here you go, do something else. And then from there, just more stuff, luckily, came my way. Great. Uh, as for me, um, you know, about 12 years ago, started writing, um, working on little commissions, things like that. Um, just trying to get heard, really, and break through. And then in 2016, I was really frustrated that I still didn't have a broadcast credit. So I invented a TV show, got it commissioned, <laughs> made it for ITV, and gave myself a writing credit. And that's how it happened, really. That's quite a long way around. <laughs> that's a long way around. And David? Uh, well, it's kind of, in kind of a roundabout way. This competition had a bit of a role to play, so I took a long time to have the confidence to call myself a writer, and I was working. I didn't do any uh, university course, but I just read all the screenwriting books and tried my hand at all different kinds, writing a novel and then writing poetry. Learned very quickly, no money in poetry. <laughs> Never. Uh, and... I kept coming back to screenwriting because it's what I love and TV is really what I love. And uh, like Lauren, I wrote a lot of spec scripts and eventually one of them got shortlisted in this competition in 2018, it must have been. And that kind of really gave me the confidence for the first time to call myself a writer and think this is something that I can do as a job. Uh, And then I started sending it out and another coincidence, it was also Brian Elsley who picked up my first script uh, from his He's company. He's given out all the jobs. He's got all the jobs. So uh, there's your in, Ryan Elsley. Ryan Elsley. <laughs> because they, they made that show, uh, so you might be able to tell from my accent, I'm from Scotland. They made the show Clique in Scotland, and it was a really modern portrayal of Scotland that I hadn't really seen for a long time, and I really wanted to work with someone who wanted to do stuff like that. Uh, and, yeah, they picked that up, and that really just got me rolling, and, now I'm here. So, so a few of you have got um, quite a few different um, strings to your bow. Um, directing, I know you're a comedian, um, Archie, and the poetry and uh, novel writing. 
how did you figure out that it was TV that you wanted to write for, or, or was it not that narrow? Was it just something you fell into and then it took off? I'm just needy. You're just needy. Uh, no, I, it was, I, I love TV, so TV was always the thing that I wanted to write for. And I always, I always got pissed off with British TV because I looked at it and I always thought, this ain't the world that I know, this isn't what I recognise. So I would look to American TV and see how ambitious they were. And I thought, I want to write that, but over here. And it just, it kind of came from that, really. And have you, have you, have you regretted it? <laughs> is it, what, is it something? getting into TV? TV or just being, With all these know. people staring at me, yeah. <laughs> That's when I, no. no. No, I haven't regretted it at all. It's been great. It's been uh, tricky at times, as, as it always is. But it's been, yeah, fun so far. I hope it remains that way. Um, yeah, I, I, I think just kind of picking up on that last point more than the first point, I think we're at a really interesting time, um, you know, with kind of global networks and, you know, the kind of B-sods coming over. And I think we're at a time where a lot of the things we had to look elsewhere for the content that would entertain us. And now what's happening is I think there's more of an understanding, particularly with certain production companies, certain channels who have that more global outlook and they seem to be much further ahead in the field. So there's, it's, you know, I've, I've been doing the kind of diversity and inclusion space for like 15 years, but there's never been a door more open than it is right now. Um, and where there was that perception where the talent isn't there, well, the talent needs more upskilling, all those kind of things, what's happened is a lot of that talent became directors or actors became writers out of circumstance and a lack of work. So they've actually worked really, really hard. And so now the door is open. They're actually kind of overskilled in an awful lot of it. And there's a nice volume of talent out there to be taken advantage of this time, really. Yeah. Yeah. And David? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I love TV as well. That was my kind of why I really focused on, on that in my writing. And as well, because I think the process of screenwriting is the one that I enjoy the most. I feel it's the most, uh, I love visual storytelling. I love the, the ease that you can move things around. I mean, editing a novel is a really, when it's you know 100,000 words, it's just like, oh, I can't bear to open it again. <laughs> Whereas a script, it's really fun to edit. I, I really enjoy that process a lot more. Uh, and yeah, I, I felt as well that the stuff that I was seeing, I kind of felt, we could do more than this. We could push further, and I want to be part of that. So I'm very much enjoying it so far. <laughs> and I suppose um, it's interesting picking up, Fraser, on your point of the door being opened, both for diversity, for female writers, for writers not based out in London. What, what do you think could be done to improve the situation now that the door is starting to open? What's... Well, well, What's it's, lacking still? It, to, be, to be honest, th th this conversation about you know, diversity and inclusion, it's, some people get it and some people don't. And for many years I've been campaigning and talking and kicking off in Broadcast Magazine about it. And actually those that are ahead of the game now are those ones who understand that the more inclusive you make your crews and your talent, that the more inclusive your audiences will be. And, that's what we're all here for, to get as many people watching our shows as possible. Well, that's it, exactly. That's if, you know, a lot of times you'll go onto a production and it'll be the same faces, and you're like, this is never gonna change if it's those same people every time. And that's not to say they're not good at their jobs, they are, but there's not people from a different background that are just as good. There's not, those people just aren't getting in there a lot of the times, and that's where the change has gotta come from, because it, it's kind of a case of saying and doing in my mind. A lot of people are chatting diversity. The, but the, the rhetoric and the reality don't mm. always match. But So we, we, we run an organization called Triforce Creative Network, and currently we do a thing called Dandy, which is providing crews and writers and directors. So we're doing like big work with Hattrick at the moment. So I hope there's no one from here from Hattrick, so I'm about to out you. Um, <laughs> but Hattrick are on it. And so we're currently providing crew for Songs of Praise, and tomorrow we're doing a huge workshop uh, with 10 writers for Have I Got News For You? Because they want them. And on Monday, four of them will start a job. So again, Hattrick are on it and they're prepared to work with organizations like ours to find that talent. And 
That's why Hat Trick is absolutely nailing it on a global sta stage. And if you're kind of not engaging in that way, then you're not going to be able to keep up, really. And so I suppose for newer writers um, who are not based in London, who are from diverse backgrounds, different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, who are women, what advice would you give them to, you know, in that start of that journey to becoming writers? Given that there is this door open, but there is also still that discrepancy, what, any advice particularly? I think just try and put yourself out there as much as possible, like competitions, um, try and get on Twitter and connect with people. I think it's about exposing yourself. Have you found possible. social media useful? Yeah, it can be a headache at times. I think everyone knows that. So don't see it as the be all end all, um, but it is good to connect to your tribe and, and try and find out what's happening in the industry. And I suppose it's hard making those initial contacts. So I think you were just telling me you sent off your script, you wrote a spec, you sent off a script out there. Um, is it just keeping on trying? Um, yeah, what? just keep sent. you'll get many rejections. Uh, but often people will be like, send me your next script. So they leave the door ajar. Mm -hmm. And you can go through that. Like yeah, but sometimes that's a way person. of getting you to do work without getting paid. Yeah, yeah. there you is that. Be careful with that. When they're like, yeah, I want to read the next one. You're like, oh, okay. You're but when you're desperate to get in, you're just like, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, um, David, you mentioned that you sent your scripts. So there are some companies that have, um, do accept unsolicited material as well. Is that? Yeah, that's uh, how I got in, really. It, um, I had a directory. I don't know if they make it anymore. It was a guy... Philip Gladwin used to make this thing, the Connect Directory, which was a list of all the agents and production companies that accept unsolicited submissions. And I literally went through that book and I sent, once I had my spec scripts ready, I sent one email a day, went through every page. And, you know, I researched the people I was sending to, that's obviously important, making sure that they're people that you want to work with and that they make the kind of thing you're interested in. But it was also perseverance that I, every day, send it to one, lots and lots of rejections, but you only need one person to say yes, and that can get you foot in the door and then build from there. And I, have you ever reje um, regretted your decision to start writing, any of you? I mean, there must be times, you know, in that, in that sending out submissions and just getting either nothing back or thanks but no. I mean, that's, that's hard, I mean, Hard to keep going. What? How did you guys manage that? Um, just self-belief. I mean, I sent my spec script to a few people before Kiss Me First, and it was ripped apart. Didn't change anything. <laughs> but then once it was sent out, when I once I had an agent, we love it. I, like, oh, I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think it's just having self-belief. If you have a story that you need to tell, it will come through in the writing. Mm. And everyone has their personal taste. So one production company might might not like the idea, but another one will, so. Self-belief, guys. <laughs> Anybody else? No, I, I think it is that, you know, it, our industry is all, it's just about opinions, you know, and everyone gets paid to have one, but be it an exec or a script editor or a dramaturg, and you know, you can go to two top level dramaturgs and they'll do completely different things with you as a writer and as a script, you know, it really is about that opinion. So, you know, I think a big like lump of arrogance really helps. But also for me, it was learning what I didn't know it was really useful actually. You know, like I would apply for schemes and things and they'd say that, you know, you need to have a real passion for this show or this or that. And I was like, but I'm ready, I'm ready to go. Now, 10 years later, I'm like, oh, I didn't know a damn thing. <laughs> and actually part of it taking that long was I didn't know all the bits that were required. So a bit like we, we tell actors, you know, even if you're not acting or you're auditioning, then pick up a book and do a page from blank and just hone your craft. And I think that's the same with writing. You know, read everybody else's writing, read the other books about writing. Like, there's no need to be twiddling your thumbs. You can hone your craft because eventually some, you will find your tribe. Mm. Someone will get it. And then, you know, like my friends over there who, who are my tribe, um, literally, you know, the, the job that I did with um, Green Door, you know, that was a job that was 12 years old, literally. And so I, you'd, and I, I you'd tried written that 12 years before? Yeah, and I tried to get it through the door, BBC several times, Channel 4, blah, 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 blah. 
then I was asked to submit a script for uh, the writer's room for In the Long Run with Green Door Productions. And they got the script like that in a way that no one had got it in 12 years. And now that enabled me to do that. So I think there is that, that there's a lot of production companies and your voice is unique. So kind of you're looking, a bit like when you're searching for an agent or those things, you're looking for that person who gets you and then you can make hopefully great work. And I suppose that's the next, the next stage seems to be getting an agent because that seems to be where you writers can really get through the do doors and be introduced to production companies. How did you guys, how did it happen for you? I mean, I had to kiss me first come before an agent, so I was able to go to agent. Of course, yeah, we'll sign you up. They've got a contract to negotiate and commission to make. So, so you you approached them in between, like getting the gig, yeah. and then actually them they then yeah. made the. So I, I took my time contract and made sure I was picking an agent that actually liked my voice and not just wanted the money. So, yeah. Uh, I got mine fortuitously. I think uh, I was working on a play about six years ago. And it, he was friends with the dramaturg at the theater where I was working. He was a junior agent at the time. And he said that he loved it. When he moved into being an agent, he wanted me to be a client. And I went, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and then, yeah, he's, he's been great. And you stayed with him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm never fucking leaving. <laughs> <laughs> never. Fraser? Um, a, a, a bit like uh, my first broadcast credit came a bit round about the houses. So one of the events that we do is a thing called Writer's Slam. So the last one we did was with Amazon Studios, where we took in like 3,000 scripts, whittled them down, and then two of them got actual commissions from Amazon. And that's the kind of event that a lot of agents come to, a lot of the production companies come to. And so obviously I was organizing the event doing that whole thing. And I was like, hi, I'm a writer as well. <laughs> so um, I got my agent actually from that. But again, so the reason that's kind of important is nepotism. <laughs> Doesn't matter what color you are, what class you are, if you can lean into the nepotism, then do that. <laughs> that is good advice. Uh, I was similar, I, I kind of, uh, I didn't, I, I made my first option deal before I had an agent and, and that so was. So did you, you negotiate that yourself? I, I no, the, very, very nicely, uh, Brian Elsley at Balloon, they wanted to option my script and they said to me, uh, for your peace of mind, it'd be best for you to have an agent. Here are some people we like. And they made introductions for me and I met four different agents. Um, and like Fraser was saying, there was one in particular who we just clicked right away. I could see that this is someone who really got me um, and I felt really confident about the relationship straight away, so I felt this is the person for me. And just to say as well that you're talking about that nexus of perseverance and luck, it took me quite a long time to make that first sale, but I think that that was a good thing because as well as that spec script, I had a couple more that I'd done, and it meant when I got that agent, I was ready to then hit the ground running and pitch these other projects and had I not had those, uh, I think I probably would have been quite unprepared and, and not really made the most of the opportunities. So I'm saying if people feel like they're banging on the door and they really want to get in and it's taking a long time, it's okay to take a long time. Just You'll get there. And Fraser, just something I wanted to pick up on. You mentioned the writer's slam and you, I know you're involved with the Triforce Creative Network. Can you tell us a bit more about these schemes that you're also running on the side of doing all <laughs> producing and writing and directing? Um, so basically we set it up 15 years ago as a way of addressing inclusion in our industry and I mean inclusion in literally that. Uh, you know, anybody who's not a 60 year old white bloke needs a shot in this industry quite frankly. And so we always kind of address social mobility, disability, gender, ethnicity, all those kind of things across the board. And so we do several things. Funnily enough, we're in here, and so we started a thing called Monologue Slam for actors. And we actually started it here, and now it's across you know, the country. And it's about opening up those avenues for people and addressing the issue of trust in our industry. There's all this thing about trust, especially when you're dealing with not just new talent, but anybody from any of those kind of protected groups, basically. And so it's about trying to mitigate that trust and tell those production companies or those broadcasters that 
the talent is there and it is ready to go. And perhaps it's not that the talent isn't there, it's more about how our industry chooses to engage with working class talent or talent from particular backgrounds. So what we're trying to do is rather than completely change the industry, what we do is we work with the industry with the way that it works. And that's kind of where that nepotism thing comes from. So for instance, this thing we're doing with Have I Got News For You, they, they have a want for more diverse writers for Have I Got News For You. But they have a very particular process as to how they find writers, which isn't very open to working class people from particular backgrounds. So we actually work with their process and do all the heavy lifting before. So we put it out, we got the you know, 900 submissions, we whittled that down. And then what we did was we just delivered 20. Mm. And from that 20, they get to pick 10, just in the same way that they would do their hiring practices. So we've done the legwork, so it doesn't actually impact their resource base any further. And I think in terms of the way that we found our successes and the outcomes like with the crewing up on the production side, we've placed over 100 people in the last 12 months on Fatchel Entertainment with Monkey Kingdom, Amazon Productions, HBO Productions, across the board. And I think for a long period of time, there was a feeling that we were banging our head against the wall in our industry. But again, find your tribe. And there are those organizations that are really on it and really encouraging and also know how to support writers or directors from those backgrounds. So what we do is try and work with those as much as possible. Yeah. And of course, once you get those writers through the door of, say, something like, have I got news for you, it opens the door. It continues opening that door, which Absolutely. is fantastic. Um, so we talked about uh, once you get an agent. And I suppose one of the things that I'm interested in, something that you've all said is just the challenges of writing. And it feels like it never goes away. So you know. You start off, you're doing your spec scripts, you're sending it out to people, it can be depressing, keep at it. You get an agent, great, then you start getting work. What, what have been the biggest challenges from then, on, from then on? So once you've got an agent, what, you know, challenges continue um, as you're growing. Just curious to know what, you, how, what, what they've been for you. I think you'll get to a point where you're spinning plates mm -hmm. and you're just working out how to manage every producer's expectation and delivery dates constantly. Um, but I think it's, it's about just being upfront about your schedule, what you've got on your slate as much as possible. Um, but I am struggling the last year dealing with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think when, when you're not attuned to this industry in a certain way, you have a tendency to say yes to everything because you're worried that stuff is not going to come again. So you just go, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think at a certain point, you've got to back yourself enough to be able to say no. And I think that doesn't happen right away. But when it does, it's quite a nice feeling that you can go, oh, I can't actually take anything else on. But I mean, for me, the biggest challenge is similar to what you said, Lauren, is balancing everything is it's, it can get very, very hard because people start to want deadlines at exactly the same time, I find. Like, straight away after New Year, everyone wants that new thing. And you're like, I know yeah. it's before Christmas. I, I no don't bother reads. before Christmas. You ain't reading that over Christmas, come on. But after that, everyone goes, ooh, where's the thing? And I'm like, you ain't been doing nothing for three weeks. I ain't been doing nothing for three weeks. Like, nothing's been done. But it is, I mean, there's some people I work with in here. That's not the case for you. <laughs> You'll get it tomorrow. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was close, isn't it? I don't think they saw it at all. But yeah, a case of balancing. Just organize your time and try and figure out the kind of writer that you are. There's this thing about splurges and planners. Splurges just write down everything for hours and hours, and they, get every, they could bang out a draft in a day, whereas planners will just think about the thing over and over and over and over before actually putting down any words into your draft. Try and work out which kind of writer you are and then plan around that. So if you're a planner, just you know, walk around, think about it for a bit, and then sit down and do it rather than just agonizing over the same scene for years. Because I'm kind of like that person that goes, don't get it right, get it written. Because you can, you can fix it later. Just get the shit down, and if it's crap, like, oh well. That's what rewrites are for. Exactly. the challenges of it, you know, that there are quite a few. I think, I think one of them for me was, it was quite all right when I was in my bedroom raging, going, no one's listening to my amazing genius voice. 
And then someone's like, oh, listen. You're like, oh. <laughs> okay. And, you know, there is a, that kind of, you're talking about that resilience. There is actually another level of resilience that's required once you're actually doing it professionally because you're not an unknown. Everyone kind of expects you to do the job. Do you know what I mean? And I think, you know, actually, just all of these things chime with mental health which is actually anything for any creative or anybody who's in the creative industries. It's about keeping this safe, and that is about a little bit of internal confidence. You know, you have to keep that generating, and you have to be able to take the no's, and at a professional level, the no's are even harder. You know, it's not just kind of like, oh, well, I didn't get that kind of little reading. It's like, no, I didn't get succession. God, that really hurts. Do you know what I mean? But like, rarely are they know. personal, though. That's the thing. They're it's never personal, even though they feel it. Yeah, I think that a lot of that chimes with me and the, that challenge of just getting to know yourself as a writer and getting to know where are your, where are your limits or just as a professional. Um, you know, I'd always had sort of office jobs before, so then becoming a kind of, you know, like a one-person business, a self-employed person. When I got my first jobs, I was so panicked. I was like, well, how long do other writers take? How long should I set my deadline for? Should I, you know, people would say, well, how long do you need? I'd be like, oh, two weeks. And I'd be like, I have no idea if that is reasonable or <laughs> if that's way too long or way too short. And I did that for a while. And, you know, sometimes I would get in a real mess because I would just, that eagerness to seem competent without really knowing where the baseline is, I just would overpromise things and overpromise things. And uh, I think the longer you go on, the more confident you get in saying, this is, this is, kind of writer I am, this is how long I take, you know, that's how long it's going to be, and if that isn't going to work for the person, then that's okay, something else will come up, and, and you'll, better to do your best work on what you can manage than loads of different stuff that you can't. I, I say that as advice, I, of course, still struggle to do that all the time. <laughs> I would say as well, there's a difference between working hard and working smart. Yeah. You know, there's this tendency as a writer to think, oh, if I sit down at a desk for nine hours, I'm working hard. Whereas I know if I sit down at a desk for nine hours, one of those hours is me doing something and the rest is me looking up shit I don't need to know. <laughs> but if you schedule in, right, I'm going to do three good hours of writing today, I'm going to go for a walk, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, that actually improves the way that you get things done. And it, it helps to know what kind of person you are in terms of how you work. Like... I know for me, I need to have like several things going at the same time. Because if I have one thing, I won't do that thing. So I kind of I need the pressure of other stuff to push me to finish things. If I just got that one thing, it's never getting finished. So if you can work that out about yourself, that really helps. And I suppose it's, it is really interesting, you guys talking about the, the mental taking care of one's mental health as a writer. Because obviously, as a writer, you're in your head the whole time. It's you in a screen. It's not you in an office. It's solitary. It's lots of thinking. What, what, how do you guys break away from that and, and try and counter it? How do you take down? What's downtime for you? What's, yeah, when do you decide that you need it? I often can't watch TV, so... I mean, Love Island, I'm going to confess, I got really <laughs> into that because you just don't think as you watch it. This series um, didn't bang, though. Let's no, it didn't. It didn't. But Love is Blind. Move That's over. banging, yeah. <laughs> right. We'll talk, we'll talk off. Um, <laughs> and just maintaining boundaries. Like, sometimes you get emails at 8 p.m. I'm not answering it until the next day or the weekend, Monday. Um, so, yeah, I try and protect my mental health that way if I can. I, I, I don't think I do switch off, which probably isn't healthy. But it's, I think if I do switch off, I won't be able to switch back on. So I, don't, I can maybe lower it by, I, essentially I just feel guilty all the time and that's how I live and it's, it seems to work for the time being. You have a new addition to your family I do, I've, not a child, I have a, <laughs> phew, I, have a, I have a dog now, which is, get a dog, dogs are wicked, except dog walkers yeah. are weird, so watch out for them, but <laughs> the dog itself, you go out, walk the dog, you get some exercise in, you have strange people come, the other day an Italian man kissed my dog on the lips, it pissed me off, <laughs> he didn't even ask, he just did it, it like, 
But yeah, get get a dog or a, a lizard or whatever. What like just get something so you don't have to worry about you. You got to worry about this other thing living. Sea monkeys—they're still about. Just any <laughs> anything that works. You do realise you're a dog walker now, though, right? No, but I'm not a weird dog walker. I don't talk to any other dog walker. I won't, I won't even look at them. That's what makes you weird. <laughs> I'm happy being that kind of weirdo. Fraser, what about you? Okay, I actually have a hardcore regimen of gaming and yoga. So that's literally, they're my Very two Very similar things. things. Yeah. You know, the, the, the brain thing for the gaming, it really, really helps. Because, again, it's that thing where you're thinking in a different part of your brain. That really helps. And then the yoga just to kind of reset everything. You know, and so whether it's doing Triforce things or whether it's doing writing things, they're my two bases that I always resort to. And they're kind of like, you know, like pickle ginger for the mind, really, for me, you know. And sometimes you have to go sideways, have your pickle ginger, and then you can get back on it, you know. <laughs> there you go, there you go. That feel nice, that's it, yeah? What's this ghetto thing you're telling me? <laughs> pickle ginger? Obviously, you don't eat sushi. <laughs> David? I like that. Pickle ginger. I'm going to steal that line. Pickle ginger from the mind. That's fine. Uh, yeah, well, I also got a dog. Uh, it was actually at my girlfriend's suggestion because I, I fell into that trap of uh, sort of nine hours sitting in front of the computer. And it's, it's something to be aware of. You know, us writers, very egotistical, uh, can be very closed in. But think about the other people in your life, I was probably spending too much time doing my own stuff, and that was not helpful. So my girlfriend insisted we get a dog so I would get out and speak to other human beings. Uh, oh, you're one of those dog walkers, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm chatty. I'll be up and, you know, I want to know their name, whole back history. Uh, and, yeah, and then the other thing, I, I went back to doing judo recently because that's... It's very hard to think about a script when... Uh, 90 kilo man is trying to smash you into the ground. Uh, it really focuses your mind. So, uh, yeah, exercise is good. Um, and another question, just going back to writing, the world, you know, sort of the business of writing. Um, so, we talked about getting an agent, we've talked about the challenges. What about general meetings? Because that is a whole other thing that's not about writing itself, but how do you approach them? How do you prepare for them? Best, worst experiences in mm. them? Should I ask? Maybe not? Oh, I'll I'm go going for it. I would say with general meetings, just, yeah, keep in mind what they are. They are general meetings. Don't, don't go, if they're promising you the world, it's not going to happen. Don't go in thinking that this is going to be your big break. But it's nice to go and meet uh, people at a new production company where something might come of it. I would say always do your research before you go into a general because you don't want to say that you hate a program and then see their face go, oh. We make that. And then, yeah, go, oh, shit, you worked on that. Because, no, nah, I, don't, I don't hate it, hate it. But it's just, uh, yeah, you, don't, you always do your research before a general. And... Also, kind of back yourself a little bit if you've gone into one. Because if you've gone into one, they know who you are. They know what you do. They want something in some regard, whether that's a relationship down the line or whether that's uh, being part of a writer's room or whether it's just pitching some ideas that you can then develop with them. Whatever it is, you're in that room for a reason. So have, have a, a kind of, I don't want to say pride, but just you know, put some bass in your voice. You're there for a reason. They, they back you, so back yourself. Anybody else experiences or? I mean, it's it's like dating, isn't it? It's like you're just constantly just trying to find if you've got a vibe with this producer and if you get each other and don't do free in a day, which I often do because you just like lose your energy. Um, yeah, but often I don't like to eat into my writing time, so I do schedule them in one day, so it's like a catch twenty-two. Um, I sometimes just stop them. Like, if I get really busy, I tell my agent I'm not doing any. In fact, I, all of last year, I just did none. So they all stacked up, and I had to, like, last month, just basically meet so many people. Um, but, yeah, they're just weird. <laughs> they are weird. Little tip, though, if you can get them at lunchtime, try and get them in, like, a hotel or somewhere like that and get a free lunch. Yeah, yeah. Good tip, good tip. David. These are the things that are going to help you guys, okay? <laughs> My tip in that vein, so 
I live in Edinburgh, so when I come down for general meetings, I do bunch them up and I'll do lots and lots in a day. My big tip, if you're going to do that, if you're doing lots in a day, don't accept the coffee at every meeting <laughs> because by meeting three, while they are giving you the opportunity to pitch your dream pro project, all you're thinking about is, oh, I fucking need a piss. <laughs> and you do not want to interrupt and you're like, I've got to get out of there. So, you know, moderate the caffeine intake. Uh, but yeah, I mean, seriousness, I think like Lauren's saying, you're trying to make a connection with the person. So it's even not so much about pitching or the project, try and get a feel for who the person is and is this someone that you would want to spend a lot of time with? You know, do you chime with them? And trust your gut as well. You know, yeah. you can go into a production company that's massive, that have made everything that you love, and you may not get on with that producer, but your head might be going, they made that show, I want to keep them sweet. It, it doesn't really work that way. You got If you're going to be working with this person, it's going to be years and years if you're lucky. So you want to be able to chat to them on, in a nice way. You don't want them to annoy you. If they've annoyed you on like the second time you've met them, don't, don't go near it. Yeah, that's the talking about not so, so much regrets, but it has been, if I've not trusted my gut, I've always thought afterwards, uh, gut was right, mm -hmm. listen. Um, I think we've covered more or less all bits of writing, writing life. Um, just wanted a last question from me, and then we'll open it up to the audience, so start thinking of nice, juicy questions. Um, what do you wish you'd known then that you know now? Everything. <laughs> uh, no, actually, the, the thing, I remember the frustrations 12 years ago when I started this. And I'd, I'd got on top of those frustrations as an actor that things take a period of time. But when I became a writer, it was almost like I'd forgotten all of those lessons a bit. And it was really interesting what you were saying earlier on, like, and especially if you are from a background that isn't a 60-year-old white bloke, do you know what I mean? Like, it may take quite a period of time. And I think, for me, if I'd known how long it was going to take, it, I, I probably wouldn't have done my own head in so much. Do you know what I mean? Or, or, you know, that kind of work so hard rather than work on myself. You know, like I say, you can learn things when you're not got commissions about writing that are really important but most of my attention was trying to get a job, trying to do that. And actually, if I'd just gone, well, I'm gonna get a job at some point, I could have spent that time doing those things that I was talking about. So I think that patience, that patience. Yeah, I think it's patience for me as well. I think there's a tendency when you first get into it to wanna to move so quickly and show everyone, look how smart I am, look how good I am. You're gonna be way better in 10 years, in 20 years. And it is kind of a catch-22 because there's an obsession with the new young voice in this industry, which can be incredibly detrimental to, to the, uh, the process of you writing. But I think the longer a project takes and the longer you think about it, the better it's going to be. That's just the law of averages. And I wish that I kind of thought about that before. I think for me, just learning that things change constantly um, from like development then in pre-production, production and to just be quick to adapt as soon as you can. Um, like even on your own work, you'll get a note from a broadcaster about a scene that was probably the first scene you started on and they want it out and then you're like, uh, and you just have to quickly adapt and just work out how I can keep an essence of my voice by losing that scene kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I think... I probably spent a long time at the beginning uh, looking for the secret, as if there was this secret, and I would, and I think I wasted a lot of time doing that, you know, reading screenwriting books really, really fast, because I thought somewhere in there is the secret that no one else telling me, and if I just learn that, then that'll be it, but uh, I think that's not the way it works, you just, it is just as simple as working on your craft and taking your time and, and building up slowly and making the most of that learning process. Uh, it's sort of as easy and as hard as that. I've got one more. I don't know why I put my hand up. <laughs> uh, I think 
the other thing I wish I knew is don't, don't be afraid to be you because you and your voice, as authentically as you can be yourself, that's the thing that is going to get you places. Don't try and be the new whoever. Just be you and just put things down the way that you see them, the way you experience the world. That is what's exciting. And I wish that I'd kind of figured that out before rather than doing an impression of, you know, Vince Gilligan or something like that. I wish that I knew that, oh, what I, what I think is actually of some value. I mean, I don't really, I don't believe that anymore. But <laughs> I wish that I'd have figured that out sooner. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I think we'll open it out to questions from the audience now. Um, there is a roaming mic, I believe. Ooh, it's like question time. Uh, anybody got a question? I'm going to be Lawrence Fox. Lovely panel. Hi, I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit about collaboration with producers, directors, that sort of given GQ are talking about, if they want to lose the thing that you care about, if you go a little bit more into how that works for you and how you find a compromise, that'd be good, thanks. Um, so I uh, wrote an episode on this show called Gangs of London, which will come out in April, and that was a very long process, a couple of years, and scenes were constantly taken out and put in, and it's just a lot of very long meetings where you're just getting really deep with the story and the characters, and you will sometimes come full circle and put in the original scene. It can happen like that. I think it's just best to get everyone in the room where you're just having a conversation, because sometimes the script editor might be the middle person, and the director and the writer and the producer are all separate, and it can, yeah, cross wires sometimes. So I like getting in the room with everyone. Too many voices. There can be, um, but it's just getting everyone on the same page. And if you're in different time zones, different places, that can be hard. So just getting in the room with everyone is, is the best. I would say try not to take it personal, because you know, no one is trying to make this thing worse. Everyone wants to make this thing get made. So it's, uh, as writers, there's always this kind of, this inkling to go, well, my words are my genius. Don't, don't fuck with them. But in reality, they don't mean shit. You can move them around and they will be just as good anywhere, really. I, I think, probably shouldn't have said that bit. I think as well that it, it is important to speak to people in the room rather than over the phone or over email because there's this idea of the note behind the note. So you may get something, a note, and be like, what the hell are they talking about? And then you have to work out, oh, they actually mean move this thing around to make this thing more powerful. But what they might say is, ah, I don't like this. And be like, well, fuck you then, what are you talking about? You like this before. So it's, it's I think it, whenever you're collaborating, make sure that you're collaborating, make sure you're in the room so you can feed off the energy of people. Because if it's through email, through phone, you lose that, that kind of, that vibe, which will then make uh, the project lack something. I think, that's, I think that's a really important point, actually, just about that. Ep the person, you know, your script editor, that's kind of, kind of who we're talking about, really, that prick. Um, your script editor, you know, you might not like them, you may not agree with them, but the truth is, is that they are trying their best to make it as good as possible. And a bit like, you know, free enough advice for actors, you know, it's like a mammoth thing of like, say your words clearly, get on stage, it's not your job to make the play good, like, it's not your thing. And I think sometimes as writers, because we have this overarching view, see, look, the cape is coming up, and we have this overarching view, we can sometimes lose our position. And the thing is, is like, you didn't hire that script editor but your job is to kind of serve that. So you might not like their notes, you may think they're screwing up the thing, but that is not your responsibility. That is the exec producers and everybody's above that. So all you can do is go, okay, well, you may be rubbish, but you are trying your best and try and take every note in that. I had a thing when I started out, and I, and I still do it now, I will address every single note that's sent to me. Because, and people are like, that's a bit mental. But I'll tell you what happens is, some of those notes are great and you've addressed them, the ones that are mental, you've written the mental, and they go, oh, that looks really weird. And you're like, well, you asked me to put it in. Well, let's take that out. And then it's done. You've not had to com complain about it. I've tried to do what you've said. And that's another way of kind of getting that point of cross, you know? So you kind of know your role and try and constantly remember everyone's trying to make a brilliant show, 
even if they're getting it wrong sometimes? I think it kind of, sorry, David. Some of it kind of comes down to ownership. You know, they, when you first write your spec script, that's your script, that's your story. It's very much you. When it gets into time of production, it kind of isn't yours anymore because there's so many people involved. You are the, the main driver, main narrative voice, whatever you want to call it. But there's so many people that it's now an hour project. And I think we've got to remember there's a lot of heads on the same body at that point rather than you being the eye, rather than you being the main heads. Maybe you're the eyes, someone else is the ears or whatever way you see it, you're all working towards the same thing. Unless you've got a terrible producer. Which the ones I'm working with in here are not. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd say much the same. I think that, that relationship with your script editor or your producer, just remember that it's uh, when they're given notes, those are the start of a conversation. They're not orders. Well, sometimes they might be orders, but they shouldn't seem like orders. You know, they're, so if I get notes that I am uncomfortable with or that I don't understand, that's a prompt for me to go back and ask, yeah, what is the note behind the note? What are they really, what did, the, what did they read in the scene? Is it the same as what I wanted to put in the scene? And if not, where's that disconnect coming and how can we work together um, to sort of get past that? And I have, I've, yeah, similarly projects that have gone through massive transformations, which I, you know, held back against for a long time. And now that we've gone past that, I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, they were right, I was wrong. <laughs> Cheers. Any other questions? There's somebody here at the front. Hi, panel. Thanks for your expertise. Um, we've got a sketch here about neurodiversity and mental health. It's Lorelei's genius there, really not mine. But um, I want to ask a preventary question in case we are, any of our meetings come off. Cross fingers. Um, I was once in a situation where I sold a script to ITV on option and they sat on it, developed it, but then would not make it. Mm -hmm. But other channels and other production companies were interested in the meantime, but they wouldn't release it. And it just fell by the wayside, and it was heartbreaking, and it affected my mental health, blah, 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 hence writing with lol. Is there any way out of that situation once you've optioned it, if other people want it, but they will not make it? Rarely. Thanks. Long and short <laughs> of it. Rarely are you going to get out of that. You might get, it might be a case of it gets caught in between commissioners. You might be able to say, can I have this back because you're not going to do anything of it. But sometimes people do just sit on stuff so that other people can't make it, which is just a part of the industry, really. And you, as bad as it sounds, this will be a good learning thing for you because now you'll know, one, I don't think I'm going to work with those people again after what they've done. Or you may think, actually, maybe they were right to sit on it for that time being. Maybe someone else just wanted it. Whatever. But the long and short of it is that will happen. And unless there's a loophole like changing a commissioners or they have a really good relationship with your agent or with yourself or the producer or whoever, most times they're not going to give it away because they're going to think someone else is going to do this. And I don't want that to have slipped through my fingers. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I think sometimes also they probably just can't make up their minds. You know, we think that they're all, commissioners are all powerful, and they're not. You know, they're answerable to the next rung up, and they might just not have, I don't know, the pitch right yet, and they're trying to work on it. I don't think sometimes it is, there is an element of that rather than, than just sitting on it. Sometimes the logistics of our industry, you know, I don't know when you did this, but, you know, there was a period of time not that long ago where ITV was shut down for 12 months. Yeah because they literally, there was, there was a role coming and someone came in and then you've got to do your gardening leave, which is another three months and no one's allowed to talk to you. And literally ITV didn't, which is why they've gone mad on the commissions last year, because for literally 18 months, they couldn't commission anything. And so I don't know if it was at that time, but that was no one even, you know, the willful sitting on it. It's just sometimes the nonsense of our industry can get you caught between the cogs sometimes. And that's There'll sometimes be things that you don't know. Like I'm working with a company at the moment who, it was great, we were having a great dialogue, and then it suddenly went cold for a couple of months. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? What have I done? What, why don't they like me anymore? It turns out that they were going through a major takeover and they just weren't allowed to say anything. So sometimes there's stuff at play that you've got no idea about that you just happen to be caught up in. But the thing to take away, the fact that ITV took it and mm -hmm. developed it, they didn't just sit on it and then never talk to you, 
that's kind of a win. Mm. I know it's hard to see it that way. It was 10 years ago, and they effectively told me my female characters were too feisty and shouldn't be going around <laughs> having sex willy-nilly with no, you know, feeling guilty about it. It was a male commissioner, surprisingly. They'll be kicking themselves now because that's what they're looking for. But but also, that's interesting about the timing. Do you know what I mean? Like, 10 years ago, you know, you were chippy. (laughs) You know what I mean? We've all been chippy. And now, 10 years later, it's like, we really want your opinion. (laughs) Like, things can also change in that way. So, literally, like Maynard, so that thing I was on about 12 years ago, just is on iP- it's on iPlayer at the moment, guys. Um, is now directed by Kathy Burke on BBC Radio 4, 12 years later. I literally, people didn't even, one of my notes from a script editor was, this is not the Brixton I recognize when I drive through it. <laughs> it's an actual note. Why do these black people talk in Patois and then speak in English? I don't understand. When he's with his bank manager, he, that was a real note. Oh, yeah, now I've everyone's like, note. can we have Patois on BBC Radio 4? So what I would say about that project, if you have it back, is particularly in this conversation of what's happening, give it another punt. The Try note again. I used to get, which no longer happens, but the note that used to piss me off is, Ooh, these black people are very eloquent, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, who the fuck have you been speaking to, man? <laughs> but no longer did those notes come. It may be veiled in another way, but like, Ooh, they're middle class, how interesting. <laughs> it might be something like that, but the times have changed to such a degree that people are much more open to reality really mm. which is odd for tv but now people are starting to go oh yeah women do do stuff like that that's cool they're humans in it oh yeah <laughs> but yeah it is changing and thank you and it also might be that that project you know ne- not necessarily dead nah fleet so. much better <laughs> it's just, she's done her job it's brilliant mm-hmm. fair dues anybody oh um there's a lady here There's a lot of pressure on you now. Um, Thank you. It's been really amazing. Um, I wanted to just touch on inclusion a little bit more. Um, I think it's amazing the stuff you're doing with Tricord. Some of my co-writers and myself, we do identify as neurodiverse. I have ADD. And the superpower and the disability is that you have a million ideas, millions and millions, and they're all great, but you can't possibly make them all. So my question is, how do you represent yourself to agents and producers when you're writing emails and in meetings? Because you do just feel like a tsunami of ideas, mm. and they can't cope with it because their brain's different. Mm. So it's it the industry doesn't really feel set up for that brain difference. And is there anything in the pipeline for Triforce, you know, making us feel less square pegs, yeah. round holes, to, so Not. that we can send our work in yeah. without seeming insane? Yeah, no, a- absolutely. And you know, I don't know if you've seen the, the you know we're doing this thing with Amazon Audible at the moment. You know, please do any writers get it in. It's an open door to Amazon Audible. You know. Could be an interesting thing for that thing. Um, yes, our industry isn't really equipped for that. You know, it's quite funny, isn't it, how new disability is. Do you know what I mean? Our industry's just get, got uh, their heads around there were black people, got that. Oh, shit, there's all these women. God, okay. Oh, my God, there's disabled people as well. And, and it, it does take a long, long time. Um, what I would say with, with, with the emails thing is irrespective is people have very short attention spans. And in the same way that a bunch of actors will send out a lot of meaningless emails on a Monday to every casting director, happens with writers, the producer on a Monday after the weekend, they're just trying to get through things. So if you know how the human works and you go, okay, well, I've probably got around about eight seconds for you to look at my email. So literally pick three things, no matter how difficult that is, go actually, and again, do your homework. So there's no point me sending a comedy to this or that. Pick your three things and go, brup, brup, brup and then do that on volume rather than three and a half pages or, you know, enclosed our eight pitches for, like, that will get to that conversation. Don't be afraid to be brief as possible and as impactful in a short period of time. But in terms of our, our you know, how we take scripts, I don't know if you've entered in our things, it's much more open and there is a space for that. But again, with production companies, that is a conversation we're having with them as to just how to open their doors to everybody, no matter, you know, whatever that obstacle may be, you know, and sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's, I just don't want to get up in the morning, like, there are lots of obstacles, and actually, it's our industry's responsibility to change the way they take in these grip. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's really great, thank you. Anybody else? There's just here at the front. It's that challenge, Annika, isn't it? 
I gave away my age there, didn't I? Yeah. Bro, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> Uh, thanks, panel. Really great insights. Um, I just want to ask about general meetings. Um, Lauren, in particular, was saying they're stacking up. Where do they come from? Do the companies approach you, or does it come through your agent, or is it your own hustle? Uh, usually, it's an agent. Um, we'll send out spec scripts uh, to a lot of production companies at the same time. So then it takes about a month or two for everyone to read through, and then the meetings start coming in. So, yeah, sometimes you can make them yourself if you go to an event like this meet a producer, swap details, it can happen like that as well, so. Yeah, pretty the same. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I can add to that. Cool, thank you. Anybody else? Hello, hi, thanks very much. Um, I was just wondering, is there a, a difference in the way that you approach um, writing for ideas that are your own or for existing shows or like you said you were on Gangford London didn't originate that idea so what's the difference on writing and stuff that's kind of creative and writing stuff that you haven't created well, doing your own stuff is more time consuming because it's in your head um, working on other people's shows you'll often get the first pilot episode before you start it so you've already got some of the character voices, the tone, um, you might be sent research documents. So the, the trick is to just read all of that again and again before you start the job, I would say. Do not be precious about anything. Do, it's, I've worked on a few shows and done a few writers' rooms where someone will pitch an idea and they'll go, no, nah, that doesn't quite work. And you can see the person going, that was a really good idea. And it's not, a, it's, again, it's not about you, it's just, whatever best fits for that show. So you have to kind of make yourself more malleable in the way you write. You have to be in the voice of the original writer or of the showrunner or whatever that person is called. You've got to kind of fit yourself to mold their vision. You're, you're just, but in that sense, you're just a donkey at that point, really. You're just doing the lifting and hoping, hoping they go, oh yeah, that was good, well done. And then when you are running a room at some point, it kind of changes and you have to make sure that everyone is fitting in with the vision that you have of that, of that show. But yeah, don't be precious. Don't take anything that's not taken personally. Just go, fine, that wasn't right or that was great. And yeah, just roll with it. I think it's also about what you were talking about earlier on, about knowing what kind of person you are. Like I, I worked with an incredible writer 20 years ago as an actor, got a BAFTA, he nailed it. And literally he's only writing now because every time he tried to write for something else, whether it was Doctor Who or those things, it really did his head in. Like, it made him actually unwell. And very quickly, he realized that he was not the human calculator writer. And actually, and if it's not his own idea or an idea of a really close friend, he just couldn't work on it. He, he actually became a nightmare on it. And he managed to identify that. And again, I think, know yourself. And if you think, actually, I can't do that, then that's cool. Get your bread and butter from another job. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to write 100 EastEnders. It's fine. Don't do it. But if you can, then you can kind of get double bubble. But I would say don't necessarily force yourself into that position. And actually, if it's distasteful, then don't do it. And one other thing I would say is I remember on a project I was working on, and this, and it wasn't the same script editor who said that about Brixton. It was another one. But they wanted to make such a fundamental change to my script that I couldn't possibly allow it. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. 48 hours later, <laughs> I could totally allow it. And so sometimes just breathe, like really just breathe. And then again, they're trying to make it better, you're doing those things, and you'll sometimes find that your red line in the sand is actually not the red line, and there are definitely places where there are battles to be fought, but it's usually the first time you feel it is not the battle you should be fighting, that's what I would say. But on that red line though, if there is a red line, don't don't walk away from that because you yeah you'll end up hating yourself hating your work and then no one's coming out winning. Mm. If there's something that you don't want to do and there's a very specific reason for it, stick to your guns because no if it is in your voice this project if it's your thing no one knows that as well as you do. So there's sometimes you have to stick sometimes you can let it go. Just got to try and figure out which times which. you can do that. Time for one, one last question. 
Is there anyone? Yes, here at the front. Hi, I feel a bit weird at the conference because I'm a camera woman, uh, recently relocated to the UK. But uh, out of the blue, I actually published a book here in the UK a couple of years ago. And every so often, I come across a really strong idea that I'm passionate about. And I've come up with a, an idea for a series that I'm absolutely not interested in writing. But I'd love to collaborate with writers and um, to develop it and, and, and subsequently pitch to producers or something like that. And I'm just trying to learn about It's something I've never done. Um, I probably would only want to do it once. Uh, but when you do have something like that, what is the process of collaboration and the channels that might open for, for something like that? Events like this, to be honest. Okay. Do you know what I mean? There's like four here, half of these people are, and it's about finding that thing, you know? Because what you need is, what you actually need is someone who's gonna come on the journey for no money with you. So they have to get it in the same way that and have that same passion, but... That's so it's not a, me, so just that's, to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He only gets paid, that's it. Um, so in that, you, what you're gonna have to operate is a bit of a volume game. For every 10 people that you speak to, you're gonna find that one person who gets the same thing with you. Okay. So if you're looking for those, it's events like this. You know, and going, oh, I'm doing this, and see if it chimes, and then go to another event, and eventually, you'll find your tribe. Okay. And then that will happen that way. Thank you. Great, thank you for great questions, and thank you very much to our panel. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Get With The Programme. If you want to find out more about us, you can go to our website, www.thetvfestival.com, or you can find out more about The Network or Wants to Watch on our Twitter and Instagram pages, at thenetwork underscore TV or at Wants to Watch underscore TV. We'll have more episodes coming very soon, but in the meantime, there's plenty in our archive for you to listen to. Thank you again, and we'll see you soon. Bye.